Amen. If you have a Bible here this evening, turn with me uh, to 2 Samuel uh, chapter 6. The ark of God returned to Jerusalem. Very important, these last two chapters, so uh, I know that the Holy Spirit just had me to uh, hold back and trying to do extra chapters as I uh, generally do. And so last week in 2 Samuel chapter 5, David anointed king over all Israel. Jerusalem is now the capital of, or, or of Israel, that is. And David's palace was already built. God is working through King David, uh, taking battle victories over the enemies of Israel. And I want you to remember what we shared last week, what we studied last week. Uh, David has inquired of the Lord, and that's why uh, the victories have come. And that's why he's been an uh, anointed king. He prayed, he fasted, he sought the Lord where he had not done before, but with intensity now. Remember when we finished with King Saul, uh, he was seeking the witch of Endor, thus the difference with David, the difference with yourself, and the difference with me. We need to seek the Lord as David shows us here. And again, remember, David uh, is a man after God's own heart, but David also made a lot of mistakes, and he's not finished with the mistakes. But at this point uh, uh, in David's life, the power uh, of the Holy Spirit is working in and through him. Remember, the Holy Spirit would be selective in the Old Testament. And the power of prayer, David understood this now. He learned this. And sometimes we learn uh, concerning the power of prayer the hard way. Why is it that sometimes prayer is the last resort? Why is it that we wait until there's no more, okay, Lord, I guess I need to pray. And yet we should take that first step. Jerusalem at this time is not only the capital of Israel, but listen to this. It's going to become the spiritual house of Israel. Very important. And so let me give you a little bit of background on what's taking place now in 2 Samuel chapter 6. The Ark of the Covenant the ark of God returned to Jerusalem. This ark was established by God back in Exodus chapter 25. God said, build me an ark. But it's interesting, if you go back one chapter, Exodus chapter 24, prior to building the ark of God, the order was given for worship before building the tabernacle of God. Then the blueprints were given uh, by God to Moses how to build the tabernacle and all the furnishings in the tabernacle, uh, the courtyards, etc. The specifications on building the ark of God as we went through the book of Exodus. How important it is even for us today. And it's not about the building that we understand today, but it's the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the things that we need to take care of uh, in, in ourself. And so at this time, the importance because uh, the Ark of the Covenant was God's place on earth. The people of God would come. The priests would speak. And here's David now, uh, the king of Israel. Now there was a certain procedure that was taken when you transported the Ark. This was all done back in the law. We're going to study something very harsh here tonight. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, there's a man by the name of Uzzah. He was judged dead for touching the ark of God. And I want you to really understand that tonight. They were disobedient. And who it should have fallen on was David. Because David didn't give the order. He says, bring it back in the cart. They were following the procedure of the Philistines. We should never take the method of the world. And yet David did exactly that. I want you to turn with me. Uh, leave a marker here. Exodus chapter 31, verses 1 through 11. In the building of the tabernacle, uh, it was sacred, it was holy, it was special. And God had 
the blueprints and God had the specification and he wanted it followed to the T. But I like what we read here. And the reason I wanted to read it here tonight is because I want you to see each and every one of our lives. We have a call. We have a purpose. God has given us gifts. Some of you guys have a, a tremendous mind. Some of you guys have great hands. And then the minds and the hands and things that go together, the voices, the musicians up here, the worship and the praise, these are gifts of God. And so I want you to see the position here. Uh, I love this. Uh, the artisans for building the tabernacle. Exodus 31, look at verses 1 through 11. And then the Lord spoke to Moses and he said, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, the son of uh, tribe of Judah, or of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him, listen to this, with the spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and knowledge and in all manner of workmanship to design artistic work uh, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, and cutting jewels for setting, and carving wood, and to work in all manner of workmanship. This is a, a craftsman. This is a builder. This is an artisan, as, a, as the scriptures say. He wasn't going to be preaching the word of God. He wasn't going to be, you know, leading, uh, you know, military forces, but he had his place. And so the scriptures tell us in the New Testament, uh, in a great house, there's, there's different uh, works to be done. And God gives you, and God gives you, and God gives you. And we each have our gifts. We have our talents. And we, and we, we you know, work those gifts. I love some of the people in our church that uh, they have the gift of prayer. That is a gift. It's a prayer ministry. And even as, uh, you know, this, we've been here so long, but all of this was constructed by people. The pulpit was constructed by people, by hands. And everything that is so beautiful when you think about that. And so I, I want you to think of what's going on here. God is giving the plan. In verse 5, in the cutting of jewels and such. And so Bezalel, who appoints others, and we're going to see that in verse 6, and I indeed, he says, and I, indeed I, have appointed with him Ahaloeb, the son of Hishmach, the tribe of Dan, and I have put wisdom in the hearts of the gifted artisan, that they may make all that I have commanded you. The King James says the word artisan, they were wise-hearted, or, or uh, even uh, given the ability to build. In other words, the Holy Spirit would lead them and guide them as we read in the New Testament. And so in verse 7, the tabernacle meeting, the ark of the testimony, and the mercy seat that is in on it, and all the furniture of the tabernacle, and, and the table and its utensils, the pure gold, the lampstand with all its utensils, the altars of incense, the altars of, uh, of the burnt offerings with all its utensils, and, and the laver and its base, the, the garments of ministry, the holy garments for, the, for Aaron, the high priest, or, or the priesthood and the garments of his sons to minister as priests. And the anointing oil and the sweet incense, the holy, the holy place, according to all that I have commanded you uh, that they shall do. I want you to see this. And again, we see the beauty of it. When you go to the Temple Institute today in Israel, the Jews have already prepared all this for the third temple. They're ready. Even the, uh, the red heifer that's come around. And even the colors that were missing even years back. Interesting how God's all put this together. But this third temple is not going to be good for them. They're going to end up running to the rock city Petra. But God had a purpose. Now, if you're taking notes, in Exodus chapter 25, uh, we're, giving, we're given by God what goes in uh, to the Ark of the Covenant. And that's what we're going to be speaking about. And number one, the Ten Commandments on the two tablets uh, of stone. We pick up the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. Uh, secondly, a jar of manna. It, it, remember the translation, what is it? And, and so study more about manna in Exodus chapter 16. And, and this is interesting. Uh, thirdly, Aaron's rod that budded forth. 
And to understand Aaron's rod that budded forth, study Numbers chapter 17. Now, here's the good question. Everybody's asked this in time past. Where is the ark of God today? There are those that say it's in Ethiopia. There are those that say that it's been taken into heaven. And some of the Orthodox Jews that have done digs and such, they believe that it's buried under the Temple Mount somewhere. And then some say that it's exactly in a given position, but it would be a holy war if they go down and get it. Now, you have to understand this. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant was captured by the Philistines in 1 Samuel chapter 4. But they quickly returned it in chapter 5 and chapter 6 because God brought boils as judgment upon them. And they wanted nothing to do with it. And so it was uh, taken to Kirjath, Jerem. And this is about eight miles west of Jerusalem, and it sits there for 20 years, and now David comes into the picture. And so in 2 Samuel chapter 6 now, the ark is brought to Jerusalem. If you're taking notes, you need to study 1 Chronicles chapters 13, 15, and 16. We get a little more in-depth of what's taking place. But you're going to see also something else interesting. Not only is Uzzah judged, but remember David's wife, Michal, she's going to rebuke David because he was dancing unto the Lord. Just the joy uh, of, you know, the Ark of the Covenant coming back to Jerusalem. And the Lord rebukes her. And listen how, she has no children. And for a Hebrew mom, very, very difficult. And so let's get into this. We have a lot to cover. 2 Samuel chapter 6, look at verse 1 now. Again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel. Keep that number in mind, 30,000. And David arose and he went with all the people who were with him from Baal, Judah, uh, to bring up from, from there the ark of God, whose name is called by that name. And, and it says, the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. Now, if you're taking notes again, in Joshua chapter 15, verse 9, Joshua chapter 15, verse 60, it's called Kirith Jerem, and the ancient name was called Baal Judah. Now, it says here, the Lord of hosts who dwells between the cherubim. If you understand the Ark of the Covenant, there's a lid on top. There's two cherubim angels with their wings extended out, and would be one here, one there, and their wings are pointing to each other. And inside would have been the three articles that we mentioned. But this is where God dwelt. This is where God tabernacled. And this is where the, the high priest would come and, and to receive from the Lord. David would receive from the Lord. And I want you to think about it tonight that, you know, we come into Calvary Chapel uh, here in Las Cruces, and this is our, our place of worship. But where were we this morning, this afternoon? Where were we yesterday, the day before? Uh, since Sunday, the Lord is with us. The Holy Spirit is with us. We worship the Lord. We're going to see that scripture uh, in John chapter 4. Uh, those that worship God worship him in spirit and in truth. I mean, praise God, we have a building. But what if it is taken away? What if it burns down? We've shared before. What if we go to the parking lot, as we mentioned last Sunday? What if we go to the parks and the highways and the byways? What if the time comes where we do have to go underground churches? Some third world countries are doing it. It's not the building. But know you not that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the tabernacles within you. And I think sometimes we need to be reminded because of the things that we do and the things that we say, the things that we partake of after we leave church. Well, I'm done with God for, you know, another two or three days or another week. Or back in our B.C. days, well, I came to church on Christmas. I'll see you guys uh, maybe around Easter, okay? That's what I used to do. Some of you did likewise. Look at verse 3. And so they set the ark of God on a new cart. If you know anything about the Levitical law, if you know anything about the Old Testament, 
God never said. And in all the, the different blueprints, there was no cart. And so they set the ark of God on a cart, and they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, uh, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. Now, this is probably the best they could do. They didn't use the old Philistine cart. They made a new one. And it was probably made pretty good, probably nice. But God never intended for that to be. And I think sometimes we, uh, we look at the world standards. All oh, the Philistines brought it in a cart. We'll just make a better cart. We'll make it look good. And so, and then Abinadab, notice the sons of Abinadab, they, they drove the new cart. They were doing the right thing. One of my commentaries said they were doing the right thing in bringing the ark to Jerusalem, but doing it in the wrong way. It's not how the Philistines did it, but what did the law prescribe? What did the law say? The Philistines brought back the ark on a cart back in 1 Samuel chapter 6 after the judgment of boils. Now, you need to study Numbers chapter 4, how to transport the ark. The Kohites, which were uh, the priests, they were the sons of the Levites, or, or, yeah, the Levites. And so the Kohites, they were the priests, and, and they were to use staves. They were to use these long poles, and, and then they were to push them through the rings and the side uh, of the Ark of the Covenant. Then they were to march for a certain distance, and they were to pray. They're not doing any of this. And God has to judge them. God has to set a precedence here. The ark of God on a cart or copying, mimicking the, the Philistines. Notice that today in our 21st century, and you need to answer the question to yourself, uh, uh, but does, does sometimes the church mimic the world? Sometimes the church want to copy what the world does. Those of you that have been part of Calvary Chapel for a length of time, be it this Calvary or another Calvary, if it's a sincere Calvary Chapel, as the pastor is called to be a Calvary Chapel pastor, he's going to teach the Word of God. And the Word of God is going to be taught. You're going to go through Genesis through uh, all the way up to Revelation. And yes, you're going to draw topicals in there, but you're going to go through the Word of God, and you're going to get taught. And yet I hear horror stories of some of the things that go on in some churches. And I think some of you have been to some of these churches, and maybe some of them uh, were a Calvary Chapel, and some of them were not. But are we glorifying God? And we're never to bring attention to ourselves and we're going to get to that portion. I'm not against somebody raising their hands. I'm not against somebody, you know, rocking back and forth. I don't care if you want to do a little dance. Don't bring attention to yourself. Now, I'm going to stop you. I'll ask somebody to stop you. We start seeing you run around. <laughs> and then when you, you do a lap and you catch over here, I'll tell Mark, you know, stop him over here, whoever it is. And you're bringing attention to yourself. Does it glorify God? Notice what happens now. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was uh, on the hill, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark, and David and all the house of Israel. And notice this, they played music uh, before the Lord uh, on all kinds of instruments, of fir wood, on harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourines, on, on cisterns. And on all symbols, uh, uh, if you were watching Aaron up here, he was not only uh, doing the beat with his one hand, but he had a brush. At first, I thought maybe he was painting, but he's not. <laughs> but this is what you do, and you know, when when it comes to uh, you know the drum sets and such, bringing forth worship and praise and adoration, and then we have the words for us, and and the worship should come forth to glorify God. Not to bring attention to yourself and, and not to bring attention to Aaron. These guys are up here to worship the Lord. And that's what it should be all about. 
Now it's interesting. The things that were taking place, worship. I want you to think of that number again. 30,000 were worshiping, praising. A huge parade, a great procession. All this is good. But were they to transport the Ark of the Covenant by a cart, according to Numbers chapter 4? Were they copying the Philistines? It's important to know this because they're going to be judged. And, and verse 6, and when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand on the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. The first question I ask, and I, I studied this many times over, does God need help? The answer is no. Does God use us? The answer is yes. Well, what if the ark was to fall? And Uzzah didn't stop it, then David would kill him. What about what the law has to say? This is what's important here. And so he, he's, he's stopping it. He, he's, and, and I was thinking, uh, some would say, praise the Lord, he, he saved the ark of the covenant. Well, the, number one, does the ark need saving? I don't think so. Notice verse 7, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his heir. Notice, for his heir, and he died there by the ark of God. Now, notice what this does to David. And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. And he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah uh, to this day. It means the breach of Uzzah in the Hebrew. And so David learned a harsh lesson at the death of Uzzah. He learned the importance of the reverence of God in the Old Testament. He, owned, he, he learned the importance not only of the reverence of God, but the respect for God. And what about man today? When we speak of, of God in, in different euphemisms, you know, what is... What does it mean when, it, when we say, and we've heard it, we've all heard it, maybe some of us have said it, oh, well, you know, the man upstairs. What does that mean? What if you have a, you live in a high-story building, are you talking about your neighbor? Have you reduced God to the man upstairs? I want you to think about that. And please don't get me wrong on this, but I've watched the football games and, and you know, the guy scores a touchdown and he looks up into heaven and points his finger. Uh, is that of God? Is that reverent? Is, is that irreverent? Is it a believer or a non-believer? Is he doing it because all the other guys do it? But if you were to get on his knee and pray, then they get mad at him, don't they? But... Uh, these are thoughts that I have. I don't know. Uh, you need to take them and see what's happening. Now, if you're taking notes, in John chapter 4, you know the story. Jesus, remember when we taught John chapter 4, Jesus went out of his way to go to Samaria. He went there to Jacob's well, and he met the Samaritan woman. And by the way, God went out of his way. Jesus went out of his way uh, to meet me. To meet you. Doesn't he go out of his way to meet you? I look at the things that we were doing. And so the Samaritan woman there, uh, remember that she was saying, well, we worship God in our mountain. She was speaking about Mongerism. And then she said about the Jews, you, you worship uh, in Jerusalem. And then Jesus tells her something so profound. In John 4, 24, Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, God is spirit, and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. God is spirit, and those that worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. And yet God sent his son, his only begotten son. He puts on a body like us. He becomes one of us. He identifies with us. And so when I pray to the Father, in Jesus' name. When I worship the Father, in Jesus' name. Is there three gods? God the Spirit, God the Father, God the Son? No. Three distinct persons, one God. It's called the Trinity, and it's tough for some to understand. 
But you have to understand the logic in John chapter 4 because uh, the Jews hated the Samaritans. Samaritans hated the Jews. In fact, when, when Jesus went to her, it was her time to come and get the water because she was a, a woman of, of the night. She was on her fifth husband that wasn't even married to him. And she saw his dress. She saw that he was a Jew. And it was all about the living water. It was so beautiful. But Jesus went to minister to her. Jesus went to minister to me. He went to minister to you. I think we need to see that. Remember we shared that uh, Paul and Barnabas, as they were being called out in Acts chapter 13, and they ministered to the Lord, those that were in Antioch. And then we take time to minister to the Lord after. We take time to minister to the Lord during. We take time to minister to the Lord before, before they built the tabernacle, they were worshiping the Lord. Think about that. Look at verse 9 now. David was afraid, rightfully so, of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? David wants nothing to do with the ark now. In Psalm 111 and verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's not to, to fear the Lord that he's going to pounce on me. It's not to fear the Lord that he's going to wipe me out. But the fear of the Lord is the reverence of God. The fear of the Lord is the reverence, the respect of who God is. Again, I, I, I kind of lean towards the, uh, the Jews when the Messianic Jews come into saving grace and, or even the, the Orthodox Jews. And, and, and when they write God, they take out the O. The respect. The respect. When they would be writing the law, and when they came to the name of God, they would put everything down and go bathe and change the clothes. Imagine that. And go to the Old Testament, how many times that they would have to write God, Yahweh, Elohim. I mean, think about that, the respect. And so David fears the Lord. He reverence God. He respects God here. So then he goes to the other extreme. I don't want nothing to do with the Ark of the Covenant. In verse 10, so David would not move the Ark of the Lord uh, with, with him uh, into the city of David, but that was his whole purpose. But David took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Now the Gittites were from Gath. They were, it was a Levitical city, so this man has to be a Levite. And so David leaves the ark in charge there with a Levite. And the Levite takes it. Now I want you to see this. The Levite's going to be blessed. He's going to be blessed abundantly. God wanted to bless David. But David could only take about three months of that. And he does go get the ark. Uh, notice in verse 11, the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom. And all his household. I like that. Now, I don't mind you leaving it here. The blessings of the Lord. I'll take the blessings of the Lord. The blessings came because Obed-Edom and his family, they obeyed the Lord. David was disobedient to the Lord. Listen, I'm not taking away from the trials and the tribulation and the hardship and the pain that we speak about, especially last Sunday. Trials are part of our life. Trials strengthen me. Suffering is part of the Christian walk. And as we've shared many times, suffering, some suffer more greater than others. But again, we have to go back to Deuteronomy chapter 27. If we disobey God, there's, there's curses that are going to come. And that's what happened to Uzzah. He disobeyed God. And in Deuteronomy chapter 28, if we obey God, and that's exactly what Obed-Edom did and his family and his household, and God blessed them. God blessed them. In verse 12, word gets to David. I like this. Now it was told, uh, King David, saying, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom. Uh, Obed and all the belong, that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and he brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. Now, 
it, it's a very dangerous place also. Uh, let's go back to the beginning. Uh, in Joshua's time, uh, they, were, they had the Ark of the Covenant, but they began to take it to the battles. And they were turning the Ark of the Covenant into, you know, a lucky charm, if you may. And then eventually the Philistines take it. Now, it's not about the Ark of the Covenant in the New Testament, but it was very precious in the time of the Old Testament. Now, I was thinking... Uh, some of you might remember this, some of you might not remember this, but back in the 1960s, 1970s, he's still, he's still around. There's a gentleman by the name of Arthur Blessed. And, and Arthur Blessed carried a cross all over the United States, a big cross. And, and I mean, he drug it everywhere. And he was blessed wherever he went. And those that would house him, God would bless them. He even took it uh, around the world. Uh, I was looking it up. Arthur Blessed is somewhere, uh, he's, he, some, some say he's 75 now, some say he's 78. But I remember seeing him uh, on the Praise the Lord show years back. My mom used to watch that show like crazy, and she goes, come on, I want you to see this guy, Arthur Blessed, you know. And, and uh, that was his actual name. That was his actual name. But he was telling a story. He goes, I have so many stories about, about this cross. How many people don't want it? How many people say, yeah, come on in. Listen to this. He would go to the churches and he said, can I store the cross? Because people were trying to get relics from the cross. They would take off a piece of wood, believe it or not. Uh, anyway, that was probably some of my mom's family. But uh, <laughs> they say the churches would tell him no. The churches would tell him no. They didn't want the controversy. And listen to this. You know where he started going? Started going to the bars after hours. Started going to the brothels after hours. And I don't think there's after hours in brothels. <laughs> <laughs> and, and guess what? They said, yeah, leave it here. They These are non-believers. They said, yeah, put it. The bartenders would say, yeah, just put it in the corner there. And yet the church says, take that thing out of here. We don't want that thing. And I experienced that when I took my big 85-pound Bible to Big John's, and he says, Bob, uh, you're welcome, but take that thing out of here. And they don't want it around. And so I want you to think of the blessings that Obed-Edom received. Look at verse 13 now. And so it was when uh, those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, totally different, no more cart that he sacrificed oxen and fatted calf. The time of worship and praise and adoration. Now, I told you in the beginning, uh, you have to go and study the Chronicles. And so in the Chronicles, chapter 15, it tells us that David searched the law how to move the ark. David should have known. The priesthood should have told him other leaders, but nobody knew. And so this was the proper way uh, to move the ark of God. Notice again, in verse 13, so it was uh, when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces. They took the staves, these poles, and they ran them through uh, the rings, and then uh, they picked them up, and then they walked six paces, and they would stop. And then they would worship the Lord. Notice and sacrifice oxen and fatted sheep. Now, it's eight miles they got to go, so how long did it take? And so I, I put this down in my notes. When we come to worship, how important it is. In the sanctuary here, when we come to worship, it's not time to text. It's not time to receive a text. And please, I understand sometimes an emergency. Sometimes you're waiting for uh, uh, a call. And I've seen, you know, you guys get up and move out into the foyer. I, I understand all that. But then I've watched other people. It's not one text, man. They're, they're, those thumbs are moving. Did we come to worship the Lord? Or did we come to text? Now, please don't get me wrong on this one. I see some people reading their Bible because they don't want to get into the worship. Well, you know, worship is reading the Bible. No, it's time to worship. 
We're going to be studying the Bible after. Like right now, it's not time to worship. It's time to study the Bible. And so there's a time and a place for everything. And our society today, we, we just get involved and we get caught up into so many things. But I like that David searched the scriptures or had the, the scriptures searched for him. I want you to write this down, and we're going to get to it eventually in the book of Acts in chapter 17. Uh, Paul uh, is going to, to Athens, Greece, but in the meantime, uh, he has to go through Berea. We don't know much about the Bereans. Go in there and study that. But this one particular verse always gets me. I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation. And it's Acts chapter 17, verse 11. The people of Berea were more noble or open-minded than those in Thessalonica, that they listened eagerly to Paul's message. And then they searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. They were teaching the truth. And I know you guys come in here, especially those of you that come on Wednesday, you want to hear the word of God. And we're in the Old Testament, and you've seen as we've been here through the years how many times God incorporates the Old Testament that we're studying with what we're studying in the New Testament. It almost sometimes goes hand in hand. And I can honestly tell you that's not a plan because there's times that we skip. There's times that we stop. And yet God seems to put it always together. And it identifies. And that's the word of God. And so we come into the, uh, the house of God and we worship him. We praise him. I, I was thinking of Moses when he was up in the burning bush in Exodus chapter uh, 3. And when he approaches the burning bush, he, the, the Lord says, Moses, take off your shoes. For where you stand, it's holy ground. Holy ground. And so here's the Ark of the Covenant, and Uzzah's trying to balance it, trying to stop it. And God judged him. My opinion, it should have been David, but it was Uzzah. He was judged. Notice now in verse 14, then David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. This is the uh, undergarments of, of the high priest or the priest. And so David's dancing unto the Lord. Uh, one commentary said by taking off the outer garments but still having the garments of a priest, uh, David was showing himself as common man. Not identifying with the people as the king of Israel, but identifying himself with the people. And they're worshiping the Lord. Now, Michal's not going to like it. But remember, David took her husband away. So I think there was a, a, an arterial motive for her. But worship of the Lord. And so, verse 15, so David and all the house of, of Israel, they, they brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. I know we're kind of more reserved here at Calvary Chapel, and yet, is there anything wrong with raising our hands? Is there anything wrong with, you know, moving, swaying? Again, we don't want to get it out of hand, but we want to worship the Lord. We want to praise the Lord. And don't get me wrong, but some of you, you raise your hand, we're probably going to have to oil you down because they've never been up. Just saying, it's okay to dance unto the Lord. It's okay to shout unto the Lord. It's okay to jump, to shake. But listen to me. Is your heart in it? Are you wanting recognition? Now, some of the Calvary Chapel pastors that have taken the same style of Calvary Chapel uh, into South America, into the Latino population, it's a lot different there. It's a lot different. Pancho uh, was telling me the first time he was in, in some of the, the outreaches there, he was just blown away. And these were full-blown Calvary Chapels. They were worshiping the Lord. The Hispanic culture. What, what about in the black culture? I mean, you know, we can't judge. In the Western mind, we think things totally different. And so David was worshiping the Lord. 
David was praising the Lord. Notice now in verse 16, now as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. She despised him in her heart. And if you remember, we studied that. David took her husband away. And he went crying, remember? Was it David's ego? He had enough wives. Come on. I don't think it had ever left her heart. But she's rebuked for it. Listen, verse 17 and 18 now. And they brought the ark of the Lord and, and set it in its place in, in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. And then David offered a burnt offerings and a peace offering and before the Lord. And when David had finished offering burnt offerings and, and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Again, in the Chronicles, David had uh, supplied a tent. The, 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 tab, the tabernacle was housed in a tent for now. The, the temple's not built yet. But there was a proper place, and it was time to worship the Lord. And again, the burn offerings, and we've gone through those, and, and, and the, the various uh, peace offerings and such, but David is doing it right. The ark is being taken care of properly, and I like that. In verse 19 and 20, and then he distributed among the people, uh, among the whole multitude of Israel, both the men and the uh, the women and the men, uh, to everyone, listen to this, a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. So all the people departed, everyone to his house. Uh, was, did that cover all the 30,000? If so, that's a lot. When you uh, go and read when uh, Solomon's temple was dedicated unto the Lord, there was a lot of animals that were sacrificed and then consumed. And so worship and praise and adoration. And, I mean, we had a good celebration on Sunday night with our Christmas dinner. It was a blessing. Notice in verse uh, uh, 20 now, Then David returned to bless his household, and Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David, and here she is. Now she first saw him and was saying it in her heart uh, through the window, and now she says, How glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself uh, today in the eyes of all the maids of his servants, as of the, the base fellows shamelessly uncover himself. And so David said to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all his house uh, to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord. He, he let her know. He told her straight up. Even threw a dig in there. The kingdom was taken from uh, your dad. I mean, David's not pulling any punches, and uh, he's saying the right words, even though they're harsh. And he says, uh, therefore, I will play music before the Lord. And I, I think that's a key that we need to use. You know, if you want to worship the Lord, worship the Lord. And if you see somebody that's worshiping the Lord, maybe a little different than you worship the Lord, close your eyes, don't look at them. Look the other way. Worship the Lord. Worship the Lord. That's what it's all about, church. Very important here. Notice verse 22. And I will be even more uh, undignified than this, and I will be humble in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken by them, I, I will be held in honor. Oh, Michal, she, she's uh, getting rebuked here. Therefore, Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Whoa. Doesn't say that she was judged, but she was. God closed her womb, or David did not have any sexual relationships with her. And again, for a Hebrew mom, uh, not to have children uh, was a huge and a big disgrace. Not good. Now, when you study the Chronicles, as we mentioned, I want you to turn to a passage now. Go with me to Psalm 105. 
When you study 1 Chronicles chapter 16, it tells us that David incorporates what was happening here, and he writes this song concerning the Ark of the Covenant and concerning the worship and the praise. And again, I love the Psalms because in the Psalms, especially when people uh, text me, when people call me, uh, people counsel, Pastor Bob, I'm really going through this, whatever it might be, get into the Psalms. Get into the Psalms. Don't stop. Get into the Psalms. Watch David in the Psalms. Uh, he's emptying himself in the Psalms. And then at the end of the Psalms, he's coming out. Oh, Lord, I worship you. I praise you, Lord. David knew how to worship the Lord. And I believe it was during this time that he had to learn a harsh lesson. It was paid by Uzzah. Oh, there goes the Ark of the Covenant. He's trying to balance it, doing the right thing. I think any one of us would have put out our hand. But David never gave instructions. Then after, according to the Chronicles, he, he searched the scriptures or had this, the scriptures searched. And so in Psalm 105, verses 1 through 15, uh, my commentaries say it incorporates uh, with Second uh, Samuel chapter 6. And so we begin here, and I, I like the caption in my Bible. It says, eternal faithfulness. Uh, of the Lord, and, and it gives us an indication uh, of a reference, First Chronicles 16, uh, verses 8 through 22. Verse 1, we begin here, Psalm 105. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Uh, sing to the Lord. Sing psalms to him. Uh, talk of all his wondrous works. Glory to his holy name. Uh, let the hearts of those who rejoice seek the Lord. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face forever or evermore. Remember his marvelous works which he has done, his wonders and his judgments of his mouth. O seed of Abraham, his servant, you children of Jacob, his chosen ones, he is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever, uh, the word which, which he, he commanded for a thousand generations. And that's important. Look at the things that the nation of Israel did all through the Old Testament. But God still honored his covenant. Look at the things that we do, and God still honors his covenant with us. That's why it's called grace. Unmerited favor. Look at verse 9. Now the covenant which he made with Abraham and his oath to Isaac and confirmed it to Jacob for a statute uh, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying to you, I will give the land of Canaan as the ultimate uh, of your inheritance. And when they were few in number, then they go in about 70 strong? And he says, when they were few in number... Indeed, very few and strangers in it. And when they went from one nation to another, from one kingdom to another people, he permitted no one to do them wrong. Yes, he rebuked kings and, and for their sake, saying, do not touch uh, my anointed one and do not touch my prophets or harm them. And that, that was the, the phrase that David used concerning uh, Saul. He would not touch him. I will not touch God's anointed. And so David had to learn harsh lessons just as we have to learn harsh lessons. And then we're going to see David committing adultery with Bathsheba. And then we see David killing off Uriah, her husband. And then God has to break him with Nathan the prophet. And that's Psalm 51. Again, you read the Psalms and they just they minister to your heart. If, no matter what you're going through, I don't care what you're going through, the Psalms are going to speak to you. The Psalms have spoken to me through the years. And so Psalms, and again, you hear David's cry. You don't think that left him? It didn't leave him. Uzzah, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. I think when David eventually got to heaven, Uzzah, forgive me. Ah, man, that's the best thing that ever happened to me. Thank you. Let's all stand. We're going to end with a word of prayer. Father, what a blessing. Worship and praise and adoration, it is so important in the Old Testament. It should be important to us in the New Testament. 
And it should be important to us, not just here on a Wednesday night or a, a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening or any other. Lord, those that worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. I, I think sometimes we, we need to turn the, uh, the TV off or sometimes we need to turn the, the radio off, whatever it might be. And, and sometimes we just need to worship the Lord. We just need to worship the Lord. And Lord, I want to thank you for our worship here at Calvary, Lord. You've taken these young people and, and have been molding and shaping them, Lord. And as they bring us into the place of worship and praise and adoration, Lord, teach us to reverence you, Lord. Teach us to respect you, Lord. Teach us, Lord, to do it ahead of time, not to wait for the judgment or the rebuke. Oh, Lord, we want to come into your house and to worship you and to praise you, Lord. And Father, again, we, uh, we just want to continue to pray for Bill, uh, a complete healing. We want to continue to pray uh, for also for uh, Anne. Lord, I know she's been going through a lot. That's Beth's mom. Uh, she had surgery and she's doing okay, but uh, because of her age, it's tough to heal. For JR also, Lord, we want to pray for him. Lord, just uh, continue to heal him, Lord. And Father, we also want to pray for Jan. I know uh, she was rejoicing. She texted me and uh, her numbers were up. And Lord, uh, that woman has just been a miracle through the years, Lord. But I know one day you're going to take her home. And Lord, Mary DiMatteo, she knows that uh, if you choose, you could take her home, Lord. But Lord, she also has faith in you, Lord. And so, Father, we ask for your healing. Each and every one of us have gone through something or another. We need your healing touch, even when we don't understand, Lord. You are Jehovah Rapha. You are God, our healer. You are Jehovah Jireh, the God that provides the healing. And you are Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace. You, you give us the peace that passes all understanding. And so, Father, as we're approaching uh, our candlelight service, Lord, that you would just draw the people by your Holy Spirit, Lord. And, uh, Lord, uh, we always get a lot of visitors, a lot of uh, travelers, and because a lot of churches don't do a candlelight service, and so we've done it, and you've blessed it, Lord. And thank you, Lord. Be with the Segura family. They're traveling to California. Have your hand of grace upon them, Lord. And so, Father, let us take this last uh, stanza now and just to worship you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.